Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Data Science with Sam. In today's episode, we wanted to talk about soccer analytics, a very interesting topic and one of my favorites, because I wanted to explore that how analytics play a crucial role in soccer, like other sports. I was joined by Bruno Boltzinger, soccer coach and analytics person to discuss about this topic. Bruno, welcome to the show. I'm very glad to have you here. Thank you, thank you. Nice, uh, nice being here. It's it's a pleasure. It's always good to talk about soccer and just the in depth of soccer and how much soccer is much more than what you see sometimes. That's true. As like you said, you know, soccer is much more than what we see. So, Bruno, just for my viewers or listeners' benefit, would you like to introduce yourself? Just to talk a little bit about yourself and how you became a soccer expert or, you know, just how you drove your passion or interest to a soccer analytics. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, um, obviously if you're trying to wonder where my accent is from, I, I'm not from Russia. A lot of people uh, think that I'm from Russia when I speak nothing against Russia by any means, but I'm actually from uh, Portugal. I uh, grew up over here. I played for Sporting Lisbon between other teams when I was younger. Um, if you don't know Sporting Lisbon, that's where Ronaldo came from. And uh, I um, got severely injured and, you know, long story short, I'm one of those guys that I was the best that never was. Uh, so, you know, on paper looked good, but then on reality, it was not that good. And, uh, but I wanted to be involved with soccer and, um, you know, so long story short, if I can't play, then maybe I can coach it. Or if I couldn't coach it, maybe I can just get paid doing something that maybe I like to do instead of exactly. just job and that's kind of like how I ventured out eventually you know obviously I came to America just because I guess I had the American dream maybe I've seen too many movies I'm not sure but um and you know a lot of a lot of happened and then eventually I uh, got my certification to teach just because I wanted to uh to coach and I wanted to um through coaching also try to better kids in especially in areas where maybe they just never saw themselves as having a future not just with soccer necessarily but a professional soccer a professional field because a lot of you can use soccer as a way to be a mentor not just in the classroom but as in a way to mentor these kids to have uh, just a dream in life because I see a lot of kids these days especially in, in under communities that just you know, they think they can just be whatever their parents tell them to be. And sometimes whatever their parents tell them to be, it's just not what they can be. They can be more than that. Uh, and, and, you know, that's why I specifically been the last years connected within the high school system more than just even caring about trying to go to the professional or anything like that. It's just because I see that I'm just, you know, there's a bigger purpose in my life at this season in my life is to just not even necessarily get the W's, the, the losses or whatever. It's just to get a, the the W's in life, you know, the, the wins exactly. in life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and and that's why, like, I've been in, like, smaller communities. Uh, I've been having a dream recently. I just don't know if I'm there yet of uh, opening a, a soccer club that I can eventually make it for free for kids that can't really afford that. Um, of course, I'll need sponsors and things like that in the, within the community to to believe in my vision and and that through soccer kids can 
um, not do bad things such as drugs or whatever it is. And within that, yeah, you know, if they don't do drugs, maybe they can be a good role model within the community and the community can be better because exactly. if their kids are better, the community is also better. So that's that's kind of like, um, you know, right now I am, if you see my background, there's a lot of paintings. It's my dad's paintings. And I promise you that I'm not trying to sell you my dad's paintings. Uh, but, and I'm currently in Portugal and um, I was just in Houston about three weeks ago, but I left over here because I wanted to... Um, just get back to my roots just to see soccer for the love of it just seeing a bunch of kids that just mm -hmm. want to go back to play soccer just because they just love it and seeing their parents loving soccer and just breed soccer everywhere because in portugal it's just soccer you know i mean i was just at the stadium watching the sporting lisbon a game yeah. in the second row and man you know because i have season tickets and Man, that game just towards the end of the game, because the other team was just wasting time ever since the 10 minute in the game because they were up. Maritim was up. And um the fans got so pissed off, everyone was kind of like just running over me in the because they wanted to get in the first row just to curse at the referee. And these people were just just mad. And and I mean, yeah, it's not right to curse the referee, but you just can tell that soccer is their life. And these people are you, I saw, I saw a kid. Well, it's life, right? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah. I saw a kid who was six years old. He was just out there cursing. He was out there, hey, you mother, all these, all that, all that. And I'm like, I'm not saying that a five-year-old or six-year-old should do all that, but you can tell that it's just their parents, their grandparents, their everyone within the families. That's all they talk about. You know, it's their hobby, and it's not their hobby. And when they say that soccer is like a religion, it, it, it is over it here, is, like a religion. It is. It is, and especially yeah. in Europe, for sure. I mean, and uh, I love the way you said, like, you know, like, you know, you know, definitely soccer could be a really a game changer, especially it's going to help inspiring the community and helping the kids to you know, come out of any drug addiction or maybe the, soccer would be their drug. The soccer is where they'll be more addicted to than any other stuff. And and I love the way, you know, that you mentioned something and that reminded me one of my, uh, one of the favorite quotes from my, uh, best, uh, like my favorite TV shows, Ted Lasso, is like success is not about the wins and losses, and it's about helping those young fellows to be the best versions of themselves. So on and off the field, and I, I think that's that's where the the main essence of uh, soccer. It's not about wins and losses. It's not just a soccer. It's just about a sports. It's about like an impacting the community. It's about making a difference. Um, and I, I love the, the things you do. I mean, and thank you for your kind of like a support and service towards the soccer community in Houston and in Europe. Okay. And then thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I'm pretty sure we'll have a great discussion today. Uh, so before uh, we go further, I just wanted to, um, you know, remind my viewers and listeners. So please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and follow my podcast. And I also want to let you know that uh, Bruno also runs a podcast channel, Houston Dynamic Dynamo. Is it correct? The podcast mm -hmm. name? Houston Dynamic Dynamo, right? Yeah. So please follow and comment and you know subscribe to that podcast where Bruno basically talks a lot about the Houston Dynamo. You know, he brings up a lot of analytical part of the game, and I would definitely recommend you to, especially if you're a Dynamo fan, and I'll definitely recommend you to listen to the podcast where he talks about some of the analytic side of the game. So. So having said that, uh, we're going to go down to the question session. I mean, I'll, so Bruno, I'm just going to uh, ask you a few questions, try to get your opinions and perspective on some of the stuff which uh, I'm very interested to know from a soccer coach uh, from analytics pers perspective. So my first question to you would be like, uh, 
So what is what are some key metrics or statistics that soccer analysts come coaches use to evaluate players' performance? Like we have a lot of analysts and because as a dynamic uh, dynamic podcaster, you also kind of like go to a lot of analysts, analysts to like, you know, measure players' performance um, on the field, right? So can you just, you know, mention some of the key metrics that a soccer coach or even an analyst uh, evaluate just to, you know, assess players' performance after, before or after a particular game, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to throw the first one that everyone always talks about. Within, if you go around the soccer community, that's the one that everyone likes to use as the main key metric, um, you know, yeah. and, and the one that it's, you know, it's called XG. And basically G stands for goal. So the, it's the goal expectancy. Okay. So a lot of times if you look at the complete stats, especially the ones that are posted down there, when you see the total amount of corners, uh, percentage of possession of ball, and things like that, yeah. you, you're going to see their number out there. Okay. And usually right. ranges from zero to 0 0.02, oftentimes, sometimes two, three. I mean, if someone expects to score three goals per game, that, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it usually ranges between the zero point in the zero point zero and the the two uh, point zero. That's oftentimes what you see. Uh, and of course, the higher the number, then that means the more opportunities. Opportunities. Okay, so hmm. No, not necessarily. It, it's the opportunities are actually good opportunities. Hmm. Okay, because you can have a lot of opportunities, but it was a bad shot, or the ball was too behind the player, and hmm. the position wise, it wasn't necessarily a good one. So hmm. it, it's it's a it's an interesting metric the way the uh, the metric works within the software that is able to reach. But let let's say for example that I crossed the ball right, and I was wide open. Nobody was covering me. I crossed the ball, but I was wide open. But the <laughs> ball was too behind from my body, right? Too far, too hard for me to be able to reach it in a way that I could just receive it and have a clean shot. So if it was a two behind me, that, that expectancy is going to be quite low. Correct. Right. Yes, I was open. Okay, nobody was covering me. But because the ball was received two back from the goal, he allowed me to have a bad shot. So that is going to get into the expectancy where, okay, yeah, it was a... It was a decent cross, but it wasn't a perfect cross, which because it wasn't a perfect cross, didn't allow the player that even though he was wide open, that he did the right move, it didn't mm -hmm. allow him to be in, in the right position to score the goal. So a lot of people see, well, you know, they, they watch a game and they're like, well, this team completely dominated. Okay, they dominated, but they didn't do nothing with the ball. Sure. So for example, if you have watched the Houston Dynamo game so far this season, you probably know by now that they struggle offensively. Okay. So if you look at the struggles because they still don't have a prolific striker. Again, I'm not a Dynamo fan, so don't judge me on that. I'm just saying from my experience and whatever I, you know, researched through Google so far. So you know they don't have necessarily a finisher, but let's say that even if you don't have a finisher, if you are in front of the goal by yourself, the number is supposed to be high. Yep. So more, and the reason why that number is not being high is despite not having a good finisher, you don't have an offensive playmaker. That's the biggest How thing. How many people or like players are actually making it to the final third, you know, like which kind of contributes to that, yeah. Right, exactly that. So if you're watching that, you're going to tell me that a lot of people are saying, well, Corey Bird is not able to finish. Oh, he hasn't scored a goal. Oh, he finally scored a goal. Then he scored a hat trick. Okay, but the metric is not about Corey Bird missing the shot. The metric is Corey Bird receiving the shot, an open shot in the area that will be a, definitely a goal. Okay. So that metric is actually more worried about how you get to the final third 
than necessarily how you finish that in the final third. That's and true. a lot of people look at that and they think, well, there's just you know a bunch of teams got there and they just missed goals. That's not necessarily how it works the metrics. So you have to understand the metrics because if you're just looking at the metrics and you don't understand it, if you don't know how to read the metrics, then they are worthless. Yeah, that's and, and, and so, yes, you got the metrics, but you have to understand the metrics. Okay, so that's the problem that I see sometimes. It's that people get the metrics because everyone else gets mm -hmm. the metrics and then they don't know what to do with it or they sometimes don't know how to properly change practice to be able to do it, to perform that in, within the practice. So that's, and also within the metrics, you have to understand there's two types, there's two different types of metrics. That's one where the player is trying to improve himself in the skills, such as oftentimes you see the GPS trackers on players um, because you're trying to specifically see how many miles a player did, how, uh, where in the field you see the heat. Especially the heat map, map, you know, the yeah, other stuff, yeah. You see that and you see how many passes he did, how many where he did the passes to, left, right, middle. You see that in my metrics a lot that I post that it's the passing patterns. You see the passing patterns where a team uh, situated itself uh, around the field and where all the passes were delivered to within players. So, for example, that to me is a very important metric, where the passes are going to, okay? And the reason why I say that, it's because let's say that I'm passing the ball always to the middle within the game. I go to halftime and I see that the, the middle is getting overcrowded because everybody is there. Then I get the passing lane from the other team and I see that everyone, let's say, for example, is switching to the right side. Then I know I, after half time I can use the left side because the other team is just overpopulating the right side. Correct. So the metrics are only good if you actually are adapting yourself. And a lot of times I see a lot of coaches that have access to the metrics, okay? But they only look at the metrics after the game. And the metrics are live. And the metrics can be important, especially at off time, because at off time, it, it, this is not so. This is not basketball where you can call a timeout. Hey, timeout! Well, the only time you can call a timeout, and I've seen it, is you fake a, a player to be injured, uh -huh. and that happens a lot. And I've done it too. You know, if I see the game is just, I see another team that is just choking me, and I need, I need a break. So I tell sometimes, and I know this is wrong, but I tell the key player well, that hey, man, that's kind of like a tactics, right? <laughs> Get on the floor down there for a quick second, okay? And then I tell a specific player, hey, man, that I trust, especially a captain. Uh, and, you know, that's another metric that I like to do, even though it's not a metric. But I think that every team should be a, have a defensive captain, an offensive captain. Uh, I don't think that one captain on the field works. I don't I don't believe in that, okay? Um, a guy that is on the defense sees stuff that a guy that is on offense doesn't see. So I think you should have two leaders uh, on a team. But that's, you know, you trust that player, then you tell the player, hey, look, I look at the metrics and I see that their team is moving to the right side. I probably can tell you that by the by the on-site. I can tell you that probably by the on-site. But look, you're a Manchester United fan, okay? So back then in the Premier League, I'll see the certain coaches. So this has happened like about 10, 20 years ago before metrics even really made. The only metrics were like, percentage of possession of ball and things like that, the corners and all that, you know, that, that was the metrics that people cared about back then. But back then you'd see coaches go to the stands, mm -hmm. to the six row, seven row in the, the stands in the first half or the first 20 minutes of the game. So they could have a bird's eye view of the tactical system of the other teams. Okay. You'll see that back then a lot in the Premier League. So then you'll go back down and you'll see, okay, this is where I'm seeing the other team is using. This is how I can break down the lines. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, you don't need that. You don't need that because the game is being recorded live from a bird's eye view. Your scout is doing that. Your stats dude is doing that. You know, and the Dynamo has one. And, and every team has one where they see it up there. 
oftentimes by the media guys, you know, they sit down there in their own booth and they have a little camera and they record the game in real time. Everything is being uploaded to the software system and whatever, whatever metric you want to pull, you can easily pull because you have that access to. So the goal expectation and efficiency is the first metric that uh, it's like the beginner's metric really and truly that anyone should be looking at. But I mean, if you really want to dissect into different things, I mean, if you're looking from a player's standpoint, you have many things such as playmaker and switched on and yoga soccer, GPS, touchlight, soccer training, all these oftentimes you hire a personal uh, trainer and he looks at all these data uh, and then he tells you specific things in practice that you're not able to, to do it in the game and what you're doing wrong in the game. And then you go home and you practice specific things. Um, some player might lack speed. So then you start working out after the team practice, you go back a few hours later to the practice facility and you can work on speed. Uh, let's say that I see that I start, I start seeing that you're using too much the, the same moves. Mm -hmm. The team can see that. So I can tell you that maybe you need to fluctuate to the other side. And you're starting to see a lot of times, even with the Dynamo, for example. Or you move position of the player and see if that person will be like, you know, player would be like. Feeling right, the, right. Like, or you have a lot of tendency to just, Yeah, they don't have to run a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah or yeah. you're bologging the, bo the ball a lot, or you're running a lot, but you're running to nowhere, or you're mispositioning yourself. And right. I mean, there's only so much you see on type two. And there's only so much that you know how to work based on your skills. And a coach has to worry about 20 plus players. So it's tough to have the time in practice to just individualize, even though you have your assistance. You really, even with assistance in a practice limited to about an hour and a half per yeah. day, that you, you, you're very limited to it. You know, and I know a lot of people look up to soccer players and they're like, well, these dudes only play only practice one hour and a half and then they go home and they go eat pizza or whatever. That's not what happens these days anymore. Soccer is becoming faster than ever before. And sure. a mistake can cost you tremendously to a team. And oh, guess yeah. what? There's, there's a guy on the bench wanting to take your job. And, and, and I, I talk to a lot of MLS players and they tell me, MLS is tough because if you get overpassed by a player, that might be the end of your career. Let's say you're 26, you're on a MLS team, you did a good season, okay? So you get your contract renewed and you see a lot of these, the, especially the NP players and all that, you know? And they get this nice contract, but the international players, right? Um, then, I mean, everyone is talking about Sebas these days with uh, Sebastian, with, with the Dynamo, right? And he had a good season last season. Now all of a sudden, new coach doesn't really like his playing style because he doesn't pressure a pie, doesn't give him a chance to play. And then there's a friction between the coach and the player because the player is play he's been playing with certain success for quite a while. So the player is a little bit sometimes cocky, you know, like you have to be cocky as a player too. And I understand you coach, but this is how I'm going to play. Okay, coach, I'm going to adjust myself, but go. It's hard to adjust yourself overnight as a soccer player. This is why you need to use the metrics and you need to be open to use the metrics and you need to trust a player, a person that can coach you. That oftentimes, as sad as this sounds, but the person you trust to make you better is sometimes not your head coach. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and it sucks to say that, but that's the truth. So it's important for players to always want to perfect them better. And I mean, you have the biggest example of them all was Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, we always talk about like how he wasn't really talented, he was hardworking, things like that. Well, that's how it is soccer these days now. Everyone is hardworking now. Everyone is in the gym now. I remember it's when very I was... It's right? Yeah, it's not like, you know, like uh, 80s and 90s that 
the skill is going to just make you a better soccer player. I mean, skill is going to take you to a certain level, but then you need consistency, discipline, and especially that uh, that physical strength is very, very much required because football is a very physical game. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, you know, you need speed. You need speed. And, and everyone is looking out at you and and everyone wants to get a job at you and everyone is waiting for you to mess up and i mean there's so many things i mean look a lot of a lot of these metrics are used on maps you know uh just to see positioning off the field where a team is overpopulating a field or not uh you see even something on goal kicks let's say i'm scanning a team right i'm gonna play let's whatever team i'm gonna play next week okay and i'm starting to see that a team doesn't build up from the back because their goal is just kicking it all the time it's not passing short it's kicking all the time so I know they're going to be trying to just win the aerial duels, those split balls, you know, those balls over there. That's how they like to build. You get the ball in just, or a team that just likes to stretch out the field, just uses the wings a lot. This is all information that I need to know to prepare my team and to adjust my team. Because nowadays, if you expect to have the same formation every game and to play the same way against a team every game, you you will start okay. Because people don't know what to expect. Yeah, and, uh, until the time when the people actually understand your tactics, so they're gonna come up with their. <laughs> uh, last season, I'll give you a good example. Last season, Southampton used the four-two-two-two formation. Okay, and it was great, and it worked because they had a younger team. So those those lines of two, they were quick at overlapping and overcompensating. Okay, but they stretched the field so much that it was they they created gaps in the middle, and the players could cut in the middle on the cross. Okay. So it worked for them. Well, nobody was expecting that. It was a different formation. If you hear that, you really, what is that? What is that? So a lot of coaches saw that as, what is that? And Southampton did good. This season, Southampton just what, what happened. They got relegated. Really <laughs> okay. And they went over coaches and coaches tried to change the strategy and they just didn't have the enough talent to be able to compete in the Premier League. So this is where you see, if, if you get comfortable, you die. <laughs> your team dies because of the analytics because there's someone out there you know sleeping not not even sleeping maybe spinning their time sweating their time because guess what there's so many analytics now yeah. so many different companies so many people trying to do analytics now behind the scenes that if the coach see that you're not telling me what to do <laughs> because sometimes it comes to that it has to be a partnership between the right. the guy that is doing the analytics and the coach if you're not telling me what to do then Screw you, I'm going to find someone else. Or I don't care about these. I'm going to go to the old school of, I'm going to trust my gut instincts. And a lot of people ask me these days, why are a lot of young coaches being so successful so quick? I mean, I can even tell you, Ruben Amuri, uh, which is the Sporting Lisbon head coach, right? Uh, about two seasons ago, he was the he, he was a new head coach, okay? He didn't have the certification to be head coach, okay? So every time he couldn't stand up, he, he could be on the bench, but he couldn't give instructions to the team yet to be his assistant coach because his assistant, his, his assistant coach, he had the certification, professional certification to coach. And you need that if you're coaching in the first division. Um, and he didn't have that. So every time you would stand up and try to give certain information to the players, you saw the fourth referee telling him, sit down. You don't have the certification. Okay. Yet he was very successful. I mean, Sporting paid 20, a $20 million fee to get him. Think about that. A coach got paid 
20 million dollars got hired from a team to another by for 20 million dollars you don't hear that often okay that's like, i feel like that's could be he's the highest paid coach in portugal at least huh? <laughs> yeah yeah he was and he's wanted he's wanted everywhere and it's just going to be a matter of time until he goes to the premier league you know because i and he's producing pedro porro and all these players going out there to tottenham yeah. and ugarty is going to be the next player that is going to make the jump and and he's, he's he's struggling because the team doesn't give him money to hire players and then they sell players in the last minute but he's still doing good things without a team that is honestly worth a league. And, and, but another successful thing is one of his assistants, oftentimes, if you pay attention, he has an iPad that is recording the game and he's, he's connected to the stats next to him. So they believe constantly, the assistant, hey man, this is what's working. Hey, right now I see that there's something that is not working. And he's willing to tell his players and his players trust that if within 20 minutes they are sucking, Within 20 minutes, he can tell a different formation and the team can do better. Of course, a lot of times it just doesn't work out because you, you didn't have the talent or sometimes, honestly, you know, and that's, that's the thing about the betting system and the analytics system. It's the human component, you know, and, and, and that's something that people don't account for. You know, sometimes there's just, you're just having a bad day. It's just not your day. You can be there four hours and you, you're never going to score. And if the game was played the next day, maybe you could have won 4-0. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's kind of yeah, like... and that's something that you know. At the end of the day, I can sit down and tell. I no, can but... predict this. I'm right. going to predict that, you know. But then I'm not going to predict nothing because hey, this team just had a bad day, you know, and that's that's okay. So you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm not selling you no statistics or software today. I'm just telling you that also, you know, this only works so much. And it only works so much as you believe in it too. And you're willing to work based on the information that is given to you. Because yeah. if you don't know how to read it, if you don't know how to work with it, then it's just, it's not the problem of the software. But also I'll tell you something. In Vegas is not wrong many times. Vegas is not wrong many times. And Vegas has been using these analytics for years now. Before anybody was using, Vegas was doing it. And Vegas is not losing money. It's a business. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, like uh, it's kind of like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean it kind of like tough pill to swallow for me, but I feel like Manchester City, especially when they had Pep, Pep Guardiola, Pep actually started uh, using analytics before Manchester United started it. Because I remember um, like when all these like uh, data scientists or sports data scientists concept came up back in 2014, 15, Pep was the first person actually had an analytics person in City. Okay. And United did that later after a couple of years, but the, the analytics team hasn't started in United back then those days. Um, so yeah, of course, you know, uh, we can definitely see uh, a lot of importance, like a lot of like a uh, yeah, benefit from analytics. And most of these young coaches are literally using analytics because, as as a data scientist and as a pure soccer fan, I can tell that you know numbers don't lie. And we all the discussion, all the argument, all the debate started with the number first. <laughs> so. So uh, going back to the question, you know, like I think you already touched upon the second question. It's like my second question were related to that how soccer analytics can help in identifying some players' strengths and weaknesses, and we can leverage those information to like uh, build the team tactics and strategies. I think you touched a little bit upon that, like you mentioned about the Lisbon coach uh, that you know he kind of like used the analytics all the time. Um, so from your sports, you know, soccer coaching perspective, like so, so let's say about this, like you're using analytics to uh, you know like identify some player strength and weakness. Is it that analytics gonna be? It's gonna be a same practice that you're gonna do for all the players in the team, 
or is it going to vary based on the player's position? Like the kind of analytics you're going to uh, use to assess a striker's performance is not going to be the same for with the defenders or the midfielders. So, so how do you define that? You know, like I'm pretty sure there will be some sort of a difference between you know players' performance assessment based on their positions. So, so what do you think about that? Um, so it, it, it depends. Okay. So if I see a player struggling, then I'm going to tell him specific things that I can do, uh, to make him better, but that's something that he needs to to work after. Okay. You're not going to have a practice that is just going to be all about one player, not a team practice. That's just that, not on the professional level that, that doesn't happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it, you don't see that. And if you ever go to a practice, especially those, if you're able to be a media guy and all that, you have, you see those videos, those 15 minute open, uh, practice the first 15 minutes are open to to media and things like that. You're never going to see a player aside practicing specific things. That's not that you see that in the off season and you see that after practice. Okay, so that that it's important to know because that answer is a little bit tricky. So what what you see oftentimes is let's say that let's say that I I'm struggling with initiating and progressing the ball. Uh, as a way to to build up my game, okay. Huh? So, for example, I'm I might look at it into spatial structure, okay, and passing patterns, mm -hmm. uh, percentage of errors during the build up by center backs, okay. So let's say that I want to build. Ideally, I want to build up from the back, okay. So I want to start short passes between the defenders, wait for the other team to come to me, and then maybe start the build up passes uh, where I break the lines because I'm waiting for the other team to come to me, okay. Uh, well, that's great, but what if your center backs are not good with the passing skills they have? You understand it's that? It's really accommodated to your team strengths, you know, like, you know, see your exactly. surroundings and based on that, you got to like, you know, just adjust your uh, skills or like your play. So, for example, you know, a lot of uh, times people are eager to, well, first year coach, we just got him. He's not first year coach in his career, but first year within the team, you know, and, and we're like, uh, fans want instant success. My first question is, how many players he got rid of and how many players he got? Mm -hmm. Because if you got rid of a lot of players and he got a lot of new players, then that means that he picked the players according to the way he wants them to play strategy. But if you got stuck with the players that were already there, that means that this coach needs to see first what he has, okay? This is why he needs to go back to the previous season and see how they played and see one by one uh, what are their strengths and weaknesses. And then he has to adapt the strategy to the players that he has. Because you can spend two, three, four weeks, five weeks trying to throw a specific amount of players to tell them, well, now we're going to play different. We're going to play from the, from the back. How are you going to have a 25-year-old that never really cared about playing from the back all of a sudden over three weeks being the master of the skies, being playing from the back? It's just not going to work. It's, it's not going to work. Because that's totally work. like a difficult position that person to get accustomed to. Yeah. And, and look, I'm not going to, I don't, I like to, if you listen to my podcast, you know, I'm not, yeah. some people I think are starting to get a feeling that I'm just this guy that he's just talking crap all the time and whatever. I don't, I don't. First of all, I purposely try to not meet any of these people so I don't get my feelings in it, you know, and I'm not talking crap. I'm talking about what I see and I like to throw the analytics so you can understand that what I'm telling you is just not out of the wazoo, but it's by proven data and proven facts. OK, and so, for example, I mean, Ben Olsen, um, you can't. 
it's been weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks that the finishing is being an issue, okay? One thing you can do if the finishing is an issue is you can do trick plays. You can do studied plays, okay? You can do plays, for example, you can have a corner, they can be a short corner, and then you bring the lines outside while the, the corner is being passed to the guy in front of you, and all of a sudden the line goes back forward again, and you have the cross. But I don't see nothing being done of that nature. This is where you can use the analytics and you can start doing trick plays and you can practice during those practice days. And then when it's game time, you can confuse the other defenders by having a trick play on a corner, yeah. on a free kick and all that. And when I don't see that, that means that what are you expecting from week one to week 10 to be better if you're not developing those little tricks yeah. with Practice. Exactly. You, you know what I mean? I, I get it. You, like you need those analytics to give them that perception. Okay, this is what you're doing wrong. If you change it, like, you know, I guess it's more of like, you know, visual thing will give them more of like an interest. So they would understand, okay, so this is real, this is legit, whatever you're showing. So I think that's where the analytics might help, you know? Yeah. Look, look I mean, one of the biggest sports it with used with analytics and breakdown and scouting scouting breakdown in trick plays it's football american football it it's it's exactly. and we talk about soccer how it's a game of chess sometimes we see that you know a player moves a certain way then all the pieces go their way and then it locks a certain space and you can all the different kind of plays they have in american football yeah it's like all part of the analytics right <laughs> And, and this is where sometimes like sports can, you can use things from other sports. And I mean, I, I know you like Ted Lasso and all that. And then it, it was kind of like a little bit of that idea of the show too, that you have this guy that has a perspective about a certain sport and he knows nothing about the other sport, exactly. but he also loves the human component. And that's another thing too, that I think younger coaches can connect to the younger players and the younger players can buy into the coach because they're having fun in the locker rooms. And I think I said this a while back, but I can tell when you have a winning team and, and I can tell you when you have a team that is just there and does it for a job. And you see that a lot. Some people say, what's the secret for a high school team to win? And I say, just get in the playoffs. And if you're having fun and if the coach is, is a fun coach, sometimes your kids will work three times more for you, four times more. They might not have the talent, but if they work their butts off, all it takes is one game doing more than the other team, even though you're not good to be able to win the game. Sometimes it's effort. Sometimes it's just effort. For example, the Dynamo struggles against teams that I press, teams that just press you constantly. You need a pre You can only press if you have players that have lungs enough to run. Because exactly. if you don't, you're going to press for 20 minutes, and then after that, you're just going to be like, ah, you know, I'm done with this, okay? Um, and you need that. The Dynamo doesn't necessarily do that. And, and he wants to do that because he, let's say, use Corey Bird as a guy that presses eye. But what's the point of having a guy that presses eye if nobody else is pressing eye? There's no point, you know? And, and I believe that a team cannot play the same every game. It just can't. You have to break down the other team and you have to look what are their weaknesses and what are their strengths. And... And you have to use, and you have to use that for as a game plan. That's why you have four days to practice. That's why you have three days to prepare for the other team, because what's the point? It basically help you in preparing that thing, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, look, build up typology of passes and results. Use map and video. You have to combine those two areas with more attacking frequency, comparing to areas where there's they're just making a lot of errors. I can see a player that is just uncomfortable having the ball, and I can specifically position other players that allow their player to always get the ball. 
And in the end, when he always gets the ball, I can press her two guys on him and I can take the ball away. And look, I, if I take the ball away from the defender, I'm already in front of the goalie. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and if I'm struggling to create opportunities to score, then I can use my strikers as a way to build their opportunities by pressing I. And I mean, I don't and know if you also draw the defenders out of that. So you can basically have your attacking midfielders or even like a, your defensive midfielder to like you know, get the opportunity to score a goal. Like something I saw in Dynamo, like a Hector Herrera scored a few couple of goals, which I really like the way that he praised and literally complimented uh, the attacking attempt in all the attempts and he eventually scored those goals. So I like that, you know. Two weeks, two weeks. I said two weeks ago. I said that um, he'll, although he played always as a six in his career. I mean, I know him very well from Porto days because you know Portuguese league and obviously. Yeah, and then he went to Atlético at Madrid, and then I guess he got back. He yeah. went to a team that was stacked with midfielders. I didn't know why he did that, but he went to a team that was so talented with midfielders, and he didn't have a space down there. And and I mean, he had. A, I mean, he's making five million dollars a year. He can't beat that at his age. And and. He, even though people ignored what I said, but he had an interview with in uh, Portugal about six weeks ago that he wanted to basically come back to port. But the Porto coach Sergio Conceição was like, oh, "That's great, but I don't have a space for him." And um, but to me, in the in the MLS team, he does better as an eight. He needs to be that attacking organizer okay. in this Dynamo team. In this Dynamo team, with what they got, which they don't have an attacking midfielder with skills. I feel like he's a good Herrera. number nine, to be honest with you, the way he played. They, exactly. They need Herrera to be there. And, and when you saw him being there, you see him scoring goals. Yeah. When you don't see, when he's being backtracked so far behind in front of Artur, being the six that he normally is, you see that he's struggling. You know, and 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 I'm not gonna. I'm not. I know that a lot of our listeners are Dynamo fans. That's why, like, I'm I'm using specifically the Dynamo as an example. I can no, that's, or whatever. That's fine. <laughs> because I, know, I, I guess there will be a lot of Dynamo fans will be listening to this. Can be sure. <laughs> You're right. So, but for example, like finishing on la or or the last third, right? For example, because we're talking about the Dynamo, right? So we get we have the XG, right? The expected goals. Okay. Um. So this indicates the probability that an attack ends in the goal, depending on what the play might be, right? But if you're using just that, okay, that's great, but that doesn't give you much information, right? It just tells you that, well, it's, if the number is low, then you're struggling to create opportunities, right? But then, okay, let me look at another thing. Okay, percentage of crosses with shot. Okay, are the crosses going anywhere? And are the crosses finishing in a shot? If not, not finishing in a shot, that means that nobody's open. Okay, so what can I do to make you open, right? And I know that if you listen to me, I know that I I hate, I just hate, uh, zone defense that is being done now in corners. I just, I hate it. It just doesn't make sense. And even last week, for example, I said that every time um, Franco followed the guy man to man, the guy was never open, but everybody else on the team was zoning defense and everybody else was open. And and you can't have that. And a lot of teams believe in mixed zone man to man now. But it just, I just, again, you have to look at what the talent you got and what doesn't work. You have to switch it up. Okay. And so another thing, most frequent areas for crosses compared with percentage of success. So if I'm seeing that one side is working better than the other, and if I see that now teams are seeing that and they're overpopulating, let's say the right side is amazing on crosses, right? So me as the coach for the other team, I'm going to put an extra guy down there just because I know they're only using that side, right? So what I can do is the guy that is doing amazing crosses, I can switch him to the left side. 
because now the right side was overpopulated. And now I got a few minutes before the other coach realizes that in those few minutes are those specific plays that I can create an opportunity, a dangerous opportunity, because now my guy that was on the right side is on the left side. The defender that was just on vacation because the team was never going dead. Now the sudden I have this guy. Now I have to tell my teammates that, hold on, I'm a little bit confused here. What's going on here? And those switches of players out of position are those sometimes seconds that allow a great opportunity to happen, to present itself. And, 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 and a lot of fans don't realize that, don't understand that. But that's why I've, I, I believe, at least I believe, that a lot of times a game, it's, soccer is a chess game these days. And when you have two teams that are equally talented, everyone is working using the same strategy. Everyone is, has the same amount of practice. Everyone is a, a professional. I don't like to disrespect professional players and say that sometimes there's so much, the level of professionalism is more or less the same, okay? Because you have your job, which it's not a job to these guys. It's their love, their passion. And to be honest with you, most of them struggle when they retire because they don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing they were good was these. Not, not everybody. <laughs> can, a lot of them. I'll uh, make it to the sports commentary box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and I mean, they they were fans. They grew up with it. They, you know, their parents grew up with it, and they they're they're proud of it. They got their girlfriends because they are soccer stars. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of these girls are probably above their yeah. league. I mean, you know, soccer is kind of like their identity. You know, like you know, it just kind of like take away their identity when they retire, right? <laughs> and, they, they, and that's why it's important now these days to have a coach that mm-hmm. can have jokes with the players. They can speak the same language as players. Sure. They can connect to players, and that's another thing. Why, aside from using analytics, that's another thing. Why these newer coaches are instantly having success with the players in the team it's because they are connecting to these uh, being where the coach is above the players is just not it's not there and now we're, talk, we're starting to talk about which tells you about, about, about I'm not ready to, sorry to interrupt you do you think a young coach when they're using analytics when they're showing the numbers the graphs plots to the players it's kind of easier for them to gain trust from the players so players can like automatically start trusting them yeah this this a guy is not a joke. He's actually showing me, he or she is showing me the numbers. So that's how it's kind of helped them to build that connection with the players. No, I, I, I look, it, let's say uh, I just got hired as a coach, right? You're there, you've been there and you got accustomed to the other coach, right? Mm-hmm. And if you start losing, then obviously you didn't care about the other coach because he wasn't making the team. Okay. That's when you lose the locker room too. Okay. But now I'm, I'm coming in, right? Let's say I come in, hey man, what are you doing here? Hey, I start cracking jokes and they're going to be like, oh, this guy's a clown. Okay. So, but now I tell you, hey man, look, I'm going to get the respect from you because I hey, look, before I judge you, I saw you in practice. I recorded the practice. Hey, I looked last season tape and look at this, look at these analytics. Don't, don't trust me. Trust the analytics. Okay. Exactly. Look, I see- yeah. This is what you're doing wrong. And look at this. Look at you. This is you, right? Okay. I feel like I think that's going to help, you know, to build a connection, you know, like, because you're not just like someone just throwing that person under the bus because you don't like the players or the way that person speak or the way they play or whatever, their haircut or whatever. <laughs> and then not only, I'm, you know, and I need to give you a solution too. Okay. This is what you did. And this is what I think if you do it now, we can create this partnership, this trusting partnership that you, I can make you better. If I make you better, you make the team better. And if you make the team better, I'm better. Because when people look at the coach, they only care about wins and losses at the end of the day. I mean, they don't care how good I played. I mean, I can play like trash as long as I keep winning. The fans are going to be like, well, I mean, 
Yeah, we play like trash. We play defensively, but guess what? We got the trophy. You know, in, in the longer run of things, the only thing that rests in history is the wins and losses in the the trophies. The trophy. like. That's why we need the cup, <laughs> team. We need to, nobody wants to be like a Tottenham Hotspur. You know, like, again, I'm just smoking them because <laughs> they're a good team. They have a great stadium. But, you know, this is their cabinet. It's just fan free and empty. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and people, you know, if a team wins, people are there. And if the team doesn't, you know, the team you gotta win the silverware. You know, that's how people remember remember you in the history book. <laughs> exactly. And, so, and so that's why I think that it's important to have a good locker room. And and but you have to be cautious how you treat these players because they come from different cultures too. Correct. You know, and in, exactly. And in, in, in to for you, a joke can be offensive to me. You know, and because right. I come from a different culture. You know, and and so you have to be aware of that. And but I think because it's a young guy, people just have a. He thinks out of the box too, you know, and I think that's important these days because that thing of like it's more like uh, they're more global, you know, because it's a young guy. They're more, I guess, prone to like using social media and all kind of stuff. They'll just keep them an age in learning about uh, a player's culture or their communities maybe ahead of the time. Absolutely. And, and understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, understanding that it's a partnership, but it's still a business. But understanding that soccer players also have a business to run after practice, too. This is what you say about social media and things like that, because a lot of them have sponsorships and all that stuff. So it's taking into consideration not just the player side, but the personal side. It's important. And and I think that just you see that with kids, but you see that in the pros as well. And back then, I think there was more like, a well, kids need that, but the pros needs to be just cold and tough. And and he was working for some teams, but especially these days, our society is working, and especially our kids are, which eventually they become young men and eventually become the pros and and all that. We are now caring so much about even mental uh, mental wealth. I mean, it's just people never really cared, never talked about it, and now we're talking about it. And you just talked about it. What happens to a player that retires? You know, we just. Uh, a lot of them do bad things. They get, they start drinking. A lot of them gain a lot of weight, and and it's real. And I mean, I will tell you something. What happens? You know, sometimes play, uh, people are like, "Well, this player was so good, now he's sucking." I'm not gonna throw a name off a player, okay? But I can tell when a player is suffering mentally, okay? And if a player is suffering is mentally, and I see that it's certain players on the dynamo, okay? Or I'm just gonna say certain players, so I don't throw anybody, and nobody tries to guess who they are, okay? Uh, but we all got personal lives. We all got personal lives. Think about you as a professional person, me as a professional person. You know, when we go through downs, we still have to show up to work, okay? But when you have a job that is just, let's say, and I'm not downplaying, but let's say it's just data entry, okay? Or you're just putting numbers all day long. You just, I don't know if you being depressed really matters. But let's say that now I have to practice. I have to work out. I have to talk to these guys. I have to smile. I have to just listen to the coach. And all I'm thinking is about something bad that happened in my life. And now nobody's asking me what's wrong with me. You really think you're going to excel on a team environment, especially on the soccer field? No. You're not. You're not. That's why it's important now. You've got to be welcomed. You've got to have this feeling, that sense of uh, belonging. Otherwise, you know, you can't. Because how do you know, trust that person that whom you're going to you know, pass the ball to if that person doesn't trust you? It's not possible. You've got to work as a family, you know, like a team. And and that's why, like, that's what we said before, you know, you have to account for the human side. Yes, we're talking about analytics all you can all day long. But at the end of, if you're just carrying, and I think that's another problem too. We're starting to, there are certain people that only care about the analytics now and screw everything else. 
in EFT, it's kind of like when you balance some people it out. You got to find a common ground between the human elements and the analytics. How we can, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and that's I think it's important to tell these. Okay, you have to have the analytics. You have to properly know how to read the analytics. Yeah. You have to properly use the analytics to make your practice better, so your team is better. Yes, you have to change things, but then at the end of the day, there's still a human side. Yeah, you can't, you can't, I mean, you cannot uh, eliminate the human factors in sports, you know, like that's why no pre predictive, you know, prediction model was able to accurately predict the winner of the winner of soccer World Cup, right? I mean, because you, there's always the human factors and that's what it defines as a sports. Analytics can be an assistant, can help a soccer coach or even players to amplify their uh, level or, you know, get better than what they are. Uh, but it's it's not going to define everything, you know. And, and they're still a human being, and uh, they just need to be connected on the field uh, just to produce. Another thing, an, another thing people don't notice: something as simple as weather can affect how the game is going to be. Wind can can affect grass or turf. Definitely affects. Yeah. How can uh, I create the analytics model? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, look, yeah. uh, Houston just played against Vancouver, right? And Vancouver yeah. doesn't have grass; it has turf. And I'm big on believing that professional soccer should never be played on turf. And and if it's to be played on turf, then either way, everybody plays on turf or nobody plays on turf. I don't, yeah. that's, that's, that's an unfair advantage, which I don't think it's an advantage because it's proven that it creates more injuries. Yeah, and uh, it's also but, actually bad for the, you know, people, especially if they play on turf in the tropical weather, or because generate a lot of heat and that's going to make you feel sick. Absolutely. And, and, and for example, one of the goals that Houston suffered, the ball suffered the rebound on the turf. And if you don't know nothing about turf, I will tell you that the bound has a tendency to go higher on turf and to bounce more often on turf than it is on grass. Like grass. Uh, and, and, and if you never watch a soccer game, I will tell you that right before the match starts, they water the grass at half time. They water the grass. And if people have asked me why they water the grass, well, they water the grass so the ball can roll faster. Ball can roll faster, yeah. <laughs> and soccer is a fast game. Yeah. You know, and, and it also has been seen that it improves against injuries, especially on a dry weather, such as, for example, Houston. Okay. And, and <laughs> but all these things are things that people just, you're looking at a game and you're like, if you don't take in consideration those things, then I think you're just not preparing yourself as much as you can. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, I'm still a believer too that over preparing sometimes is is bad too, because <laughs> then you making the players second guess themselves too much, and at the end of the game you still gotta it's on the on the moment. Second guessing yourself is when you make mistakes too as a soccer player, okay? Because it's a quick game. I just it's a quick game. You don't got time to just hey, let me just sit back over here and I'm gonna look back. I'm gonna look down. I'm gonna look up. Look, look down, and the next thing you know, you got a you got a striker on you, and you just lost it, okay? So you, sometimes you just have to trust on the instincts too, but. It's just, yeah, it's so many different things, even the weather. I remember, like, especially in Houston, uh, in the winter, it's it gets windy. The last two seasons, they have been tremendously winding. windy. Two seasons ago was more than this past season uh, in the winter. And professional soccer doesn't necessarily play in the winter, but guess what? High school soccer does, okay? And I was big on watching, okay, what's the weather like? What's all these? And what's the wind like? I mean, I had games where... The ball, they they would kick the ball, and the ball wasn't even moving almost uh, nowhere, and that 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 changes the game completely. And if you don't account for that, then you just don't, I don't know. Then you're just not preparing yourself. And the worst you can do as a coach is fancy that you just didn't prepare yourself. That's, that's I mean, that's what the problem. You know, like the, when as a fan in the sometime, these are actually a moral responsibility too. You know, just uh, you know. 
don't judge be judgmental on some player just because you know you, you that player has been on the pitch and there are a lot of other factors we should consider it's kind of too easy for us to be emotional and just throw a player under the bus because there are a lot of times we missing that the technical part and these elements which might be uh, considerable before we start judging a player uh, but yeah so that kind of like, you know, we covered a lot of grounds and uh, this is like a really great discussion. I mean, um, so I wanted, but I, I really want to like, you know, get to the, you know, the end part of this session by asking one last question, because that is something I really, I'm very interested to know about that since I'm not in that particular sp professional spectrum. Like as soccer, soccer coach, you know, you, you talked about the analytics can help, you know, various aspects of soccer and foot or football. Uh, but how does it play a crucial role in uh, scouting players? Like, you know, as a soccer coach, do you use analytics or do you know any of your scouting, uh, scout friend, you know, who kind of like use analytics, you know, to recruit players overseas or even within areas like, you know, just go to a rural or some remote, uh, you know, village or somewhere to, you know, get players. Do you think that analytics, it's kind of helping us uh, in, in terms of, you know, recruiting players from overseas or from some areas which are remotely unthinkable like a few years back? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for example, in, you know, I'm not done playing the real-time game of it, but a lot of times the biggest thing on analytics these days is to scout, is to recruit. Uh, like you said, even in remote areas, that's the biggest key now. Everybody's trying to find it. I mean, in the rough that nobody has seen yet that you can buy for $10, not $10, but obviously for a quite hilarious amount and then sell it for a big amount of money. To be honest with you, most of the soccer teams in the world nowadays, that's what they do. They need that. That's the majority of their funding is through harvesting players. Uh, that's sure. why a lot of teams have academies too. You know, hopefully they find someone within their academy system that they can uh, grow within the academy system and then um, go somewhere. I mean, you got the Ajax uh, in the Netherlands. They do a tremendous job. They got Sporting Lisbon. You got Benfica. You got all these teams that are traditionally known to harvest good players and good talent. And by any means, you see that they always have the same coaches throughout this decade. They got the same people. Um, and back then, it was used on conversation. You always had that, that connection with someone around the world that you trusted, that he's seen that player, that you could trust him, that he was good enough. If you were to pay for a flight, and then you'd be on a tryout, and then you'd succeed on it. That is a little bit out of the window these days, because... That's old school. So you need analytics. Okay. So you need, okay, but I'll, I, okay, I have access to the analytics. Then that's where it kicks in. You're starting to see a lot of companies. Okay. And this is where the bulk of the, the behind the scenes is being done. It's these agencies, these companies that what they're doing is they're employing certain people across certain regions of the goal. Okay. For example, I had a guy that I talked to the other day from our scout. That's the name of a company from Brazil. And, you know, he's now employing people from key areas of the globe, Europe, all that, uh, from Africa. Africa is being like a, like a harvest of like young talent these days because they traditionally have speed, but they are just not coached. So it's, it's good to get African players to go to the youth systems of certain teams. And then also because they're young, you can change their citizenship. And you see that a lot. And then eventually they can play for also that home nation, whatever that is that they got scouted for. But for example, you see different companies. Why Scout is another one. I don't want to really name any because I don't pay. I don't get paid by any to you. But I need a, you on this podcast. But I mean, for example, 
with Wave Scout, I mean, I, I I think they covered about 600 leagues, for example, from different uh, divisions and things like that. And I mean, um, um, Ibrahim Aliou, for example, that just got signed with uh, with the Dynamo. I mean, he's a, he's a young Nigerian player talking about different areas of the world in scouting. Um, a Nigerian player at 19 gets plugged into the Croatian team. They're able to get him on a tryout. He goes there on a tryout because they're able to convince him using... Uh, analytics that is actually diamond in the rough, right? Uh, and they're traveling down there. The agent, I believe, spent money out of his own pocket to make him to travel to Croatia. He gets a trial down there, okay? Mm-hmm. And then he gets sent back to Nigeria. Something happens with the team. And they All of a sudden, they're like, well, let's have him back a few months later. Let's have him back over here, Okay. He gets back down there. He makes it to the team because he's making no money and he's young. He's 19, okay? So in terms of investment, it's they didn't really have to spend a dime on him. They really He wasn't really getting paid much whatsoever. So the, the risk was very low. Um, eventually, he started playing. And, and from a coach's perspective, you have the pressure, especially at those teams. You have the, the, the pressure from the presidents from the managers to tell you as the coach, hey, look, you got a young guy over there that is from Nigeria. Why don't you start him? This team is not good, doing good this season anyway, so let's see if he's worth a league competitively, right? And and then you get on the back of the heads, the agents telling them, well, look at this, look at this. We have the stats here. He just needs the minutes. We have the stats here. And then eventually he plays. Then eventually he becomes a starter. Now all of a sudden he's 21 and the goal expectancy is being high. He's a fast player. He applies high pressure. And someone using the software analysis that works for the Dynamo discovers that this guy is up there with the goal expectancy in the way he plays. Now, we, now, okay, we made a list. Now let's look at the players from the list that are actually tangible. Mm-hmm. Who is young that wants to that is in Europe that wants to go to the MLS? I will tell you, not a lot of players want that because that's kind of going backwards. Okay, so. I'm going to contact the guys. Okay, this guy might be able to, out of the list now that I have, let's say, 20 names, okay? Out of this list, I got maybe five guys that want to go. That will take a, that the team would sell it and the guy would want to come to me, right? Uh, because analytics are coming from a younger perspective than older players. If the sure. player is old, we all know what he plays like. We don't know his style. So, But if he's young, we don't know. And we all trying to find that guy for one million that we can sell for million okay we all want that because soccer is a business still and we have to understand that and in in the mls we are still seeing just business pure we still see a lot of owners still a commercialization platform yeah (laughs) we are and you know so you saw with lafc they broke down the first team as being worth a billion in the mls and and a lot of owners just buy these teams to hold on to it. They don't invest much. And it's great that there's a salary cap, so they don't have to invest much. They invest more on the infrastructures sure. because they sit on it, and then later on they can sell it for twice as much, which then really makes the league a cancerous league because that's not really what should be the goal here. You know, that's why there's a lot of talk between let's just lift the salary cap because the salary cap is not really allowing teams to really be competitive with the European market. Because if, if you pay me four more times than I could get in Europe, and I'm a young player, now you're making me think that maybe I should be in the MLS rather than be with Real Madrid on the bench. Because money still plays a big factor. Absolutely. You know, look, yeah. look at Saudi Arabia, what they're trying to do now. Yeah, they exactly. just 
They already got uh, Christian Ronaldo now. They're going to get Karim Benzema. And who knows, Messi would be on his way to Saudi. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it, but, but, you know, but it, it's going to eventually not just bring attention, not just bringing money from international TV deals, because now other TV deals from all around the world, if they want to broadcast Ronaldo, they have to pay to the league. And all of a sudden you see that money starts flowing, competition starts flowing, the kids start looking up at all these stars they can actually see live, and then they tell their parents, hey man, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. And with the dreams, they they might, out of the 5,000 new kids, maybe they got 11 there this you know, and and then and then you bring in the coaches too, to teach these kids how to properly be taught to have a talent that is just not a talent, but it becomes a reality. You know, and, and there's so much things, but but when it comes to scanning, because I, I know I'm deviating from the question, but when it comes to scanning, when you are scanning young players, you need these stats because it's the first time you really catch your eye, catches your eye by evidence. Then of course you have to fly down there to see it live, because one thing is. You okay. throw me the best off, yeah. and the best off is not the real off, mm-hmm. you know. And I need to see the real off, and this is where it gets tricky, okay? Because ideally, you go watch a game, and you saw that with the general manager of the Dynamo, he traveled to Croatia and all that, and people were able to crack down online where mm-hmm. he was and what player he was because people started seeing who are in the Croatian league. Exactly. Young. I mean, Dynamo ever actually been to Croatia? Or their scouts ever been to Croatia to get the player? No, right? And it was only possible because of the analytics. <laughs> and then when they finally saw that out of their big list, there was only a certain amount of players that were able to fit the coaching style and they were willing to the first the team sell it and then second the player wanting to accept that contract then now that's the last thing i need to go back to the old school ways i need to go there and i need to watch him live and now this is where it gets tricky not only i need to go watch him live but i need to do it in an undercover way i don't need you to know that i'm there i don't need you to play more than what you normally play because I'm there. I need you to play like you normally play so I can really see what was given to me was real or just a product of fiction, you know? And because sometimes you can also camouflage statistics as well, let's be honest, especially if you're an agent or, or you're not camouflaging, but you're just telling me the, the good analytic side of it. You're not telling me the, the downsides of a player. And because like I told you, we just I just gave you so many different parts of the game where you can break down. But there's so many other more that I can tell you, and, and so it, it gets tricky. It's to very variable. You know, it's, it's kind of like it's continuously change. You know, it's like yeah. uh, who knows? In future, we're gonna come up with some other metrics that we need to consider in terms of uh, scouting a player or maybe just assessing the player's performance. It's, I just feel like it's still a very uh, growing field, and uh, yeah. But uh, no, finish your thoughts on this scouting yeah. thing. So then we ideally, when you don't know that you're there, and a lot of people make the mistake to be known that they are there, okay? When you go down there, then you are down there, then it comes to the last part, which is the human side. Mm-hmm. Let me talk to the player. But before I talk to the player, let me talk to the family of the player. Let me talk to the neighbors. Let me talk to the friends of the player without knowing who I am to see what kind of person he is. Because if I talk to the family, the family is going to tell me he's the second coming to Jesus. He's a great kid. He's a great loving person, blah, 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 blah. And if I talk to the neighbors and I tell them who I am as the neighbors, the neighbors are going to be like, oh, we're going to have a famous guy coming from our town. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a nice guy. Nice guy. So I don't want people to know who I am. 
because if I do, they're going to change their answers. And I need to know these guys. Then finally, after I collected all these evidence, kind of like being a, a CSI guy, being a police, a detective almost, you know, I'm doing all these things behind the scenes. Then I finally talk to the player. But I already made up my mind before I come to you because I already know really who you are before you open your mouth. Exactly. I mean, I feel like that's also cost effective, right? You know, like you can literally like, you know, just uh, minimize all this travel or operational cost, like sending those cards over Croatia and then just make the assessment over there. But other than that, you do your preliminary assessment. You kind of lock down on the player. Now you're just going there for like, a, you say, we say it in a in an industry world, it's the final round of interview. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like you said, yeah, it cost me that guy that I that software company that all that stuff. But guess what? The software company is much cheaper than you flying back and forth <laughs> to multiple countries, and then you find out that that's not the guy you wanted, anyways, mm -hmm. because it wasn't what you thought it was, or maybe. Uh, it just didn't play like it was supposed to. So there's all these, it's kind of like all these different stages into the process that, you know, and, and then you have to be biased, you have to be unbiased too. You yeah. just, it, I know that sometimes you get caught up. I already did all this work and it looks so good, but now I got there and he just sucked. And and I'm going to, but it was just one game. Well, if it was just one game, then wait another week down there and watch him play another game, you know, and, and you see if, and if he wasn't, then guess what? Start all over again. <laughs> I feel you like know? it's kind of like expanded the horizon when it comes to scouting. So uh, previously, like maybe uh, the you know the on all the Concacaf region like teams, if they don't have a lot of money, it's like a lot of funding, they would just you know shop for players either in North America or most probably in like Mexico or you know like in some parts of Latin America. They won't basically just purposely travel across the pond to go to Europe or even like, you know, some parts of Asia or even Australia and like to recruit players. But now it's kind of expand the horizon. Now, because of data, you know, like you can literally judge a player's performance. You can literally like, you know, assess a player's performance, you know, like, a, you know, from your like a living room, you know, you just, all you need just a computer and uh, you can get data from elsewhere and they can just literally uh, perform all kind of analytics. And then you decide whether you want to like travel across the pond or you're going to travel around the world to pick the player or you just kind of like, you know, keep that person, you know, that player for future, you know, assessment or reference. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, this stuff saying. is literally, um, that's groundbreaking, you know, like it, it's just going to help us a lot to like get good quality players, which whom we don't even know, maybe if you don't never interacted them or never actually analyze their uh, stats through analytics programs. You know, I had I had a conversation with Helen Maples, which he plays for the Dynamo too. Um, and he, he said something that I found to be interesting. And when I heard it, I didn't say nothing, but when I heard it, I was like, I don't know, if, I don't believe in that, you know. And he said that if 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 a player has talent, he's gonna be discovered regardless. Mm -hmm. Right? That that's what he said, regardless what his IG is or and of course he was talking to about younger players. And I heard that and I was like, uh, I don't know about that. And then, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought to myself about this. Well, back then, that was definitely a lie. Back then, if you were not in a specific part of the world or a specific team or whatever it was, being seen against a specific person, uh, you could have the most talented person in the world, but if you didn't have the financial means or be part of a team, you'd go nowhere. That's just that's just the truth. And I can only think about many talented players I played against in high school, in middle school, that were much better than me. They just didn't have the time to do it, and they ended up being nobodies, as sad as it sounds. Um, 
but now I don't think there's any more excuses. You know, if you have talent, then like you said, the software is there. Games are being recorded every day. High school games are being recorded every day. Yeah, like only we, we do analysts in every game right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the max preps and all high school players are, their profiles are written now online and, and all that and, and the highlights are being shown and, and, and things like that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, there's still, and I think that in America you see that too, um, there's a big fight between club players and high school players. And there's a lot of clubs that don't want players to play in high school. And then there's a lot of kids that just don't have the money to be in club. And they get just piled up into just a season of three months and then nine months where they just don't do nothing with the guidance of someone they can tell them how to perform themselves better. And if you're not part of a club, sometimes you have coaches or just nobody and parents, they don't know how to record you and put an highlight of you even on YouTube or whatever it is. And they don't know how to branch out to other coaches and say, hey, my kid did this. Hey, take a look. This is his resume. Hey, this is highlights. Hey, this is his full game tape and, and all that. And, and this is where I believe that, yeah, talent gets discovered. At the same time, I will tell you that there's many talents still in this country that is so developed. This country is so developed. Technology is so much cheaper. I'm in Portugal, and I'll tell you that technology here is twice as much as it is in America. I can bring iPads and sell iPads here for twice as much and make profit, you know? And, and it's crazy to think of that. But still, a country that is so developed, such as America, I believe that when it comes to soccer, is so underdeveloped compared to this country, for example, where people take it serious, the parents take it serious, uh, their grandparents take it serious. And and you just, it's impossible for you to be a young kid and not to like soccer. Because if you want to connect with with anybody, oh, it's soccer talk. And, and the first words you probably learn how to speak in Portuguese are probably a curse word towards a referee <laughs> uh, because the parent taught you. And I know that's not the right thing to say, but that's probably the truth. And and. And over here, you just I see that you just don't need necessarily a lot of money to have good people around soccer that actually have knowledge. And I'm not saying people in America are bad. It just sometimes you just don't have the knowledge yet, and you get thrown into positions of coaching that you just are a multi-sport coach. And you just I mean, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. But how can if you don't know much about it, how can you necessarily make a kid evolve? You know, and and sometimes when a kid sees that. The guidance is not there. He's going to quit because he doesn't become fun because he doesn't feel like it's making themselves better. And because when a lot of parents don't care about it, um, they just going to be like, well, you know, you're wasting my time, you know? And sadly, we have a lot of um, selfish parents too. You know, we have, I see that you have the parents that it's, they had soccer as their failed dream. So they do whatever it takes for their kid to make their dream that they didn't, they couldn't make it. And that's not necessarily positive either. And then there's a, the other kids that is just like, get out of my house. Get out of my house. Go do soccer. Go, you know, you have too much energy. You know, go out there and go have fun and leave me alone. You know, and and it's just not, and, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I see that in America, yeah, you can have talent, but I still see it if you are in certain communities, in certain areas that you don't have necessarily the most financial means to it or the right coaches that are willing to do that free work behind the scenes of just spending time making a tape for you or just sending it to other coaches. Sometimes the talented players just get lost in the wave. And if a lot of teams, I just had this conversation today over here with the the opposite works in the women's soccer, 
women's soccer in America is the best because every girl is given the opportunity to be guided into play soccer, to be part of a club. Over in, in Portugal, for example, that doesn't really exist. I mean, I, I'm coaching on a team here that has boys, but any I feel like it's also like the cultural difference, and that's why maybe we have to be in sync, not uh, in a certain countries, but across the world, where the soccer would be more of like it will be an unisex game, and it would actually have value and importance. And that's why I like the fact most of the big company, big teams, they're also promoting their women's team, and I'm I'm so glad that even my a uh, club, beloved club, Manchester United, have a really great women's team, and they finished second in the uh, Premier League. So I think it, it, I think this all these big teams need to start that initiative. Don't you think so? I love Houston Dash, what they do, and like how they, uh, you know, like play and their their overall uh, exposure and all the fan base they have. I will tell you a funny story. Talking about talent and how talented gets lost in uh, our um, high school in. If you Google my high school and you Google some players, and I'm not going to tell you my high school, okay? So I don't throw some players out of the bus. And these players became very good professional players, okay? Um, but in my high school, the best player we had, the best talented player we had was a female. She never played in the club because there was no clubs with girls soccer at that time, you know? So, you know, and like I said, yeah, it was a unisex. It was a macho culture. It still is a little bit over here. Portugal finally made the World Cup for the first time ever, which, you know, it's going to be in about a month in wow. Australia. And, 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 and yeah, so I'm not necessarily bashing U.S. soccer, but understanding that U.S. soccer is also is so bipolar in terms of the women's soccer being so elite because it's the high school system. It's the coaches, the, the girls' coaches having so much pride in themselves you know we are fighting against almost like the boy side of it and we have to prove ourselves and we have to you know, to show the world that we are young powerful women so they buy into it you know and they grow into like a like a like a systematic system and i know that i'm being reductive with my words but it there's a system in it and there's a competition that is well world but that excels the woman's side but it's also not excelling on the boy's side because we don't necessarily have these professional coaches that can be professional within the youth community. In the American you coaches... Need the, you need the guidance. You need that professional yeah. coach. And, and, I mean, everything falls there's, there's a lot of tremendous, tremendous, more knowledgeable coaches in all levels, more than me. And I'm not saying, and I, you know, and I feel like if you're cocky, then you just don't know nothing. I always say that I have a lot to learn from you. I have a lot to learn from everybody. And being part of uh, being a, a coach is just, you always have something to learn because if you don't, then you just go nowhere. No, I mean, I, and, yeah. Like you said, I just wanted to say one more thing because uh, my home country, because I'm originally from India. And I really wanted to say that since you've been uh, like talking about all this, like infrastructure and the systematic cultural change, that's very necessary because the country I'm from, it has like more than 1 billion population. We, we still couldn't make it to soccer world cup. I had a, a lot of discussion, a lot of people actually interested. And they always ask me the same question that why India never played soccer world cup. It boils down the same thing. Like, you know, here we're talking about the, you know, the difference between the men's and women's team in the United States. But back in over there, it's the same. You know, it's 
doesn't matter men's and women's and like the standard is pretty low because there is no support the culture is not there and that's where actually we we need to first start with and we need to bring uh, we need a cultural change where people can literally say the sock there is a future in soccer and it doesn't matter is a men's team women's team there is a future in soccer you got to build up a team you got to invest first you got to change the culture and that will inspire the parents and you know show the community that there is uh, you can basically be a great soccer player or a football player and like make a lot of money or come into that fame. There is a career over there. I think that's why we need to basically make, change, make the changes first. And that's a really a problem, obviously, in the Indian football community. I don't know when we're going to play soccer World Cup. But I, I feel like as a, you know, someone from that country, I could tell that that's one of the biggest barriers um, for the country itself to, you know, get promoted to World Cup or at least build a team that can be competitive in the world level. And I think going back to United States, I feel like the same problem here. I mean, I know the men's uh, team already been to the World Cup, but they are not at that European level that they should be. But I think the culture needs to be changing. And I, I feel like the here, men's are more attracted to sports like NBA or football. And I've seen that in, in this country, still people call soccer as women's game because women's team made got more success than men's team. But that that culture, that mindset has to be changed. I, I hope well, <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, and maybe all it takes is just maybe one amazing player coming out from that side of the world, exactly. you know, and, and then everybody do, understanding and the money that will be involved in it. If he did it, then anyone else can do like, it. I'm proud of Christian Pulsic, what he did, you know, you know, I mean, he's and kind it, of a role model. I mean, Christian Pulsic. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's the key. And and I know that's kind of like, well, you know, when that happens, I don't know when that might happen, but it, it, it most likely will happen because like, like you're, we just had this conversation, the soccer is becoming more global. So now we have access to these data and through these data, maybe we can find, think about so many talented Indian players that yeah. they were the best uh, and never just, just, you know, there's one Indian player. Uh, Sunil Chetri, who is actually the third highest goal scorer, he actually played for Kansas City back in 2010. He was here for like a few months, but he didn't get a chance to play a lot of games, but he was actually here in Kansas City. Uh, so I, I feel like that's the thing, you know, like we need to grow that thing. I feel like as, as a country, like I feel like we are players should be go should go out. Like, like uh, the one good thing about US men's football, which I feel like they really have a good future, like all the players, most of the young players are going out on the European circuit, you know, they, they start playing for piano and like all these players are playing either in Paris or Dortmund or UK, um, like Leeds United filled with a lot of American players, which kind of give them exposure and it's it's also helped them to upgrade their standard, right? And that's eventually helped the men's team overall. It's one making everybody else accountable, you know, and, and bring visibility to the country itself and that's, when that happens, I think that's and I know it sucks, and it, it, but it's one having the visibility is what makes everyone else then paying attention to you. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and it just, it takes one sometimes to move an entire mountain, you know, and, and, oh, and, nice. and, and that's, that's what it is, you know. And over here, it's been the thing where we had amazing players and then everyone decided to, well, actually, I can invest in my kid. And if my kid becomes good, then uh, we can be good too, you know. And in and, and the America, you see that too still with certain communities, certain ethnicities, for example. And I always say as a coach that, man, you know, I wish I had certain African-American player on my team because I, I could use the biological 
the physical appearance, yeah, yeah. But the, when I talk to the parents, they're like, well, basketball is going to be the thing. Well, because they look at the NBA players and all that, you know, and that's... that's More money that's, than Liberia, yeah, exactly, yeah. Absolutely. So and it's kind of a little bit like India, right? I mean, you're going to be playing cricket, son, because cricket yeah. is where everyone is playing. Well, really playing but that's where you can have the lucrative option to, like, you know, prosper in your career and other stuff. And that's and you know and that's why when you finally have that role model, that everyone is going to and be. Then like, the investment okay. will come, right? <laughs> that's exactly. why you need a Christian Ronaldo, or at least not to let that level, but somebody at the half of the level that that will draw the investment. And as long as the investment, uh, there will be money. So I think that's what Saudi is doing. I mean, Saudi always has a good football culture that helped them, uh, but now they're drawing all these football talents. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, hopefully um, that. Same thing will happen somewhere in the other countries. Hopefully, India and China would also get benefited from that. China already has a good Super League. Um, there a lot of players actually, uh, you know, overseas players started playing there at their, you know, in their professional career. India actually started uh, Indian Super League kind of at that standard. It's still not at that standard, but it started gaining some interest from the overseas players. So I think, as I said, you know, like going back to the same comments, soccer is a global game, and we all are going to be like, you know, help each other out. And more we can like you know swap players you know you know transfer players from one country to other. I think it's gonna help to you know like you know the the soccer in in general. Like you know, I mean, a lot of Indian players can learn from overseas players, and I guess vice versa. Um, so I think we can talk about this topic long, but I, I want to be mindful about the time. But again, uh, it was a pleasure talking to uh, Bruno. It was I don't know. I mean, like I feel like. Um, I've literally got a lot of information from you about this and I'm pretty sure my viewers and listeners would be interested to know more about that. So I would definitely recommend you to like, you know, follow uh, Bruno's uh, podcast channel, Houston Dynamic Dynamo. And especially, I would definitely recommend the Dynamo fan to follow his uh, analytics channel because he really uh, throws out some of the very intriguing uh, podcasts uh, right after the game, you know, just to assess the performance of the team and how they're done. And I really, uh, you know, like uh, I recommend that to a Houston Dynamo fan and people who are very much interested in sports analytics like me. So Bruno, any final comment, you know, like uh, just maybe there, there's some, do you have any tips for any uh, like uh, enthusiastic or any like aspiring, a fresher, a guy who's basically wanted to, you know, uh, try their hands on the sports analytics or somebody who, who just, you know, got done with their sporting, uh, sorry, soccer coaching degree, but they wanted to like, you know, get into the soccer field or, you know, wanted to use, uh, you know, you, you know, wanted to, you know, get this uh, license or anything as a professional career. So what would you recommend? You know, do you have any like uh, advice or tips for them just to kick off their career in the sports analytics field? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, first you just watch a lot of soccer games, you know, because it's great to just, you know, look at the data and all that. But like I said, you can compile the data. That's already softwares for that. Um, you know, we don't necessarily need to... Uh, just innovate too much. Uh, I know there's like so many companies now trying to innovate in things like that. But I think that uh, understanding how to break down these analytics in which analytic out of all of them that exist is are the most important to according to what the team needs are is what you should focus. Learn how to read these stats because if you know uh, if you know how to properly read the stats compared to what the team is doing and use them to not only perfect the individual player, which that's probably the most likely real. Correct. that you can have access to is to work with the player. That's the newest one I see. It's that's the easiest way to get it in the field. 
is to make a player better because most people nowadays are focused on make the team better, but they're not focused on how to make the, the player better. And I think the future is added to where the same way you have a personal trainer, trainer when you go to the gym, it's the soccer players are going to have these specific analytic guys to tell them, hey, exactly. this is what you're going yeah. to do. Gonna do. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like the assistant <laughs> come like a personal trainer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Personal trainer where you tell them what, what skills you need to practice on because this is what you need to work on and to get better. And if you get there, you're going to get players from high school level. You're going to get players from professional level, from amateur level. They're trying to get into the professional level. So he's going to open up a bigger market than what the market of just looking at a team is going to give it to you. Because I'll tell you that that market is starting to be completely overcrowded as is already. And it's getting, you starting to see European now companies, they're really focusing on the MLS in the Brazilian league and things like that, because they already got the resume. So exactly. they and, and teams are looking for resumes already. So if you are just joining in now, I do recommend you that try to work with the players and focus on the players. Mm -hmm. And if nobody knows you yet, Try to make a website, try to break down different players, throw it out there, throw it on Reddit, throw it on YouTube, throw it on podcasts, throw it anywhere you can. And if people know about you, they see your face, you never know who's listening. You just never know who's listening. It can be a player, it can be a team or whatever it is. It can be another company that might employ you. And so if you're trying to get into it, not to break down these and use it more on a specific one, one V one, you V the player with the player to make the player better. That's probably the most economical resource for what you can get yeah. into this field. That's really a great valuable lesson because yeah, especially, uh, you know, like for people like, you know, who wants to like, you know, try it out there, they have to build their portfolio. They got to make sure that people understand that they have the capacity or they have the knowledge base to help any team to in the soccer analytics or uh, they can actually help their team's player to, be a better version of themselves or maybe like, you know, help them in their players assessment or any kind of stuff. So I think building a play portfolio just to, you know, kick off or get into this professional field, like would be a first step as you just mentioned. So yeah, I guess my viewers and listeners, if uh, I would definitely recommend you to like, you know, just follow more podcast channel, uh, follow Bruno's podcast channel and try to just uh, analyze the game from an uh, analytics perspective and see how you like the numbers associated with the games. Maybe that would be only be your cup of tea, but you could still, if you still have interest in uh, watching soccer or, you know, breaking down the soccer games and like chit-chatting with your fan, your, your friends about soccer, then, you know, this field will definitely be a kind of intriguing uh, uh, options for you. So having said that, I think we got down to the bottom of this podcast. And again, it was a pleasure talking to Bruno and thank you for your time. Thank you for all the, you know, like insights about the soccer analytics and anything related to like a soccer coaching. I know we actually talked more about soccer analytics in this podcast. So I'll be, I'm very sure that most of the fans out there will be interested to listen to this podcast. And for the other listeners, and please don't forget to like, comment, or just drop a rating for my podcast, as I'll bring more podcast session on this specific sports analytics field in future. So thank you so much, and have a great weekend.